welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of the Music Works Podcast. I'm Katie Beardsworth, Director and Founder of Polyphony Arts, and today I'm delighted to welcome William Saunders, Director of Media and Creatives at MediaTracks, to the Music Works Studio. He and his father Andrew have just taken over the company which already had an established and respected profile as a boutique business producing high quality music from its stable of writers and composers for a wide range of global customers. We'll hear about how the two of them are committed to carrying on the ethos of founder Steve Johnson, of fair dealing and transparency and how music creatives can sell their work and enjoy the financial benefits they deserve for the use of their music. We'll hear some insider information on writing for markets such as film and other broadcast media, as well as finding out more about William's other identity as a professional organist. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Allianz offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Allianz music policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Allianz's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Are you a composer or performer who is looking to sell their work to film, TV and other related markets? If so, join me now as we go over to the Music Works studio where William is waiting to speak to us about how MediaTrax helps its musicians place their work worldwide. And if you're an organist, stay tuned for William's insights into the unusual and engaging world of the King of Instruments. Welcome, William. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Katie. Uh, So this is William Saunders, the Director of Media and Creatives at MediaTracks. And I'm sure everyone's dying to know. So, William, will you tell us a bit about MediaTracks, please? Absolutely. It's a production company that provides music for TV, film, adverts, uh, lots of exciting uh, potential uh, places where you see uh, films, products advertised. Any possible way that you could use music, we provide it. Brilliant. And um, so this is a good insight for into um, a company like MediaTracks because I know that a lot of musicians um, and composers that I talk to would like to get into having their music on TV and in films, unsurprisingly, and um, the path to that view of the professional musician. So it's really exciting to have you on today to talk about this. Um, And so could you tell us a bit, um, first of all, about how... um, how it works for composers to be on media tracks it's a very simple process and and uh, something that i've discovered uh, quite early on into this uh, new career for me and and experiencing this this industry is it can be quite secretive sometimes it's it's uh i suppose it goes under the radar a lot it people assume take for granted that this uh music comes from somewhere but doesn't necessarily know where, um, and and I hope that um, 
that we can perhaps shine a light on where this music comes from. It comes from real people. It comes from real composers. Uh, and, and it's a, a, a really fascinating industry to get into. In fact, a, a lot of um, traditional uh, classical music-based composers, not just classical, actually, it's, it's across the whole uh, sphere of, of music making, um, have turned to, in, in recent years, uh, writing for music libraries, uh, what we call production music, because it can be, uh, depending on how large your contribution gets or how successful you are at becoming attached to a, a really uh, big brand or a, a really successful TV or film uh, program, uh, it, it, you can make substantial money through royalties and commissions. Um, uh, perhaps more so, uh, if I'm allowed to say, more so than perhaps the more traditional form of, of composition. So a number of composers do both. Uh, and uh, yes, it's, it's extremely simple. I had, even in my first three weeks of, of running media tracks, I've had more than 30 plus composers, some personal friends, but others, uh, you know, cold calling as it were, uh, emailing, uh, saying, can I write for you? Here's some samples. Um, what do you think? Uh, and, and it progresses from there. Some, sometimes uh, uh, you hear a lot of the same material, um, but actually the more interesting uh, material is stuff that's quirky, original, um, but uh, yeah, using authentic instruments, I tend to prefer more so than uh, uh, electronic sampled sounds. But it's quite a straightforward uh, industry to get into it's harder to make a name for yourself. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, and the other thing about um, how you make money from this kind of music, I believe, um, or this kind of music writing, is that um, it's once you've written a piece and once it is taken up by, um, for instance, a TV production company or something like that, it has longevity um, and will continue to make you money. Whereas I think often the paradox for composers is... Um, is you know they write a piece it gets performed once and then the, there's this challenge of getting it performed multiple times or, or getting it into the repertoire but actually the money making part of that is over for the composers at that point pretty much bar you know music you know sheet music sales and so on um, it's not a huge um, money making exercise at that point is it no uh, and of course as, it, as I just mentioned it depends on how successful you are getting attached to to, to a brand or, a, or an identity and a lot of that is is down to chance or uh, someone f choosing chancing coming across your composition it, it can be as, as uh, uh, simple as that or tr tricky as that um, but uh, yes it depends on of course, if your uh, program you're attached to gets sold worldwide, perhaps we have what's called sub-publishers around around the world that represent us in mm, probably most countries uh, that need to be represented in. Uh, and once that gets performed again, your music gets heard again, and then the royalties start coming in once more. And, and, and as we know, in the age of iPlayer and other equivalent uh, streaming services, um, there there is a, a lot to be gained from having your music perform more than once. Absolutely. So um, let's say I'm a composer who doesn't know 
very much about um, what it is to write music for um, for film or TV. What are the key things that I need to know? I think the key things uh, in order to uh, produce a, a, a really effective sample for, for the likes of me and my colleagues to, to hear uh, is, is listening to what is already out there in terms of format. Format of the, of the music is very really important. It's quite short. It can quite often on screen be seen in uh, waveform to be able to split into segments quite easily. Mm. Um, quite often the music appears in what's called uh, alternative versions where you might have the melody taken off and just have the chords or the, the bass line or the rhythm section underneath. Quite often they appear uh, in uh, what's called stems or stings or uh, thirty-second reduced format. So it's it's not so much the content um, that uh, needs to be uh, quite specific because you can compose in whatever genre you you want to. I mean the sky's the limit as far as that's concerned. But it's more how you package it. It's more how you then reduce it down in order to fill a a 30-second uh, snippet for adverts, that's the, the common time, or um, in those various formats I've just uh, described. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, and um, you've mentioned that you are you are newly um, a director at Media Tracks. Um, tell us about how this has come about. How it's come about? Gosh, uh, I'll give you the condensed version, which <laughs> after 15 years of being in... Uh, music education, uh, the last eight years being a director of music of a large boarding school and all of the responsibility that has, and then uh, uh, um, looking after the music at St Edmundsbury Cathedral during the pandemic, which was uh, really uh, challenging but also exciting to be one of those very few musicians that was actually making a living during that very difficult time. I. I uh, came to the end of that 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 tenure, that kind of t caretaking tenure, uh, thinking, what next? I've always had quite a creative, entrepreneurial streak about me, and thought uh, it was as simple as this. I typed into Google one evening, "music businesses for sale," and it came up with um, certain teaching. Uh, practices for sale with 10 guitar pupils and I thought I don't think so uh, I've, I've done enough of, of, of teaching for a little while uh, and uh, then Media Tracks came up as one of those that uh, was for sale a business that whose, whose owner unfortunately had passed away two years ago uh, was being run by his widow and a music consultant uh, in the interregnum uh, but always looking to, to essentially sell it and what can tend to be the case with these smaller independent production music companies is they can be swallowed up by the large, the big boys of, of the industry. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the owner's widow um, was really dead against that uh, because Media Tracks has a very distinguished uh, reputation, a, a very strong following. Um, good, uh, high high regard by the composers that work for it, uh, and wanted to see it continue as a standalone business, uh, and one that was run by a family. And uh, that brings me to the the, ne the next kind of point is that uh, I I bought this with uh, 
my, my father and uh, going into into a family business. And she was the, the, the former owner's widow was very keen that this was uh, passed on to a musical uh, family. I think it's very important to have a, a grasp on how to be uh, creative. Uh, and uh, musical in this industry, rather than perhaps just a, uh, someone who put in, inputs numbers or you know on a spreadsheet. You know, it's, it, we understand how, how perhaps composers tick and the, the the process they go through in order to be creative. Yeah, I think there is often um, a a gulf between the more sort of managerial, data led. Um, technology-led um, side of the music industry and the people who create the music themselves, which is, of course, um, often reflected um, in the way deals for musicians are done and so on with the fixed streaming campaign and everything like that. So it's been really, it's been a real treat for, um, for me to hear about how this works so clearly um, and how, uh, how transparent this is. Um, and I, I hope, I hope, Katie, that through this process and what we're doing together, actually that process becomes more transparent and encourages younger uh, and people from ethnic minority backgrounds to be part of this wonderful creative industry because it is, it is great. Um, and um, yeah, it's certainly an industry that I had no real no knowledge of before I came into it. I mean, we all know of its existence because you listen to anything on television or you know it could be as simple as being on hold on the telephone and there's music mm. attached to it where does that come from well now i know <laughs> well absolutely and actually um you know to think particularly about contemporary classical music i know that media tracks covers all genres but um the vast vast majority of consumption of contemporary classical music is now via film and tv music you know people who aren't self decisively uh into contemporary classical music and are going to go to concerts and so on and so forth that where they hear it is on films and tv um absolutely and, and, and it's a critical part of the of the classical music industry going forward Yes, uh, and for many people, that's their only exposure to classical music or or hearing certain instruments that they will ever get. So it's it's a, a really important uh, part of of ensuring classical music uh, survives. It 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 it, uh, it might not sometimes be seen as the most creative uh, of uh, and um, forward thinking parts of the music industry, but it certainly has a really vital, vital uh, and important part to play in, in in ensuring classical music survives. And I I can say that with pride because look, I'm holding up my Benjamin Britten uh, mug from Oldborough, of which we're based very close to. We're based in Ipswich, so um, cheers. Cheers, absolutely. So. Let's move on. Let's talk more about um, about you as a musician um, as well. Then, so you mentioned you've always had an entrepreneurial streak, and obviously um, you've been in music education for a long time. You're also a professional organist, and I'm aware that your entrepreneurial streak came out in that department in lockdown as well with your popular series of YouTube oh, um, organ videos. 
Yes, I, I, I don't know if it was a, a good idea or a bad idea now, but uh, <laughs> yes, I set the challenge of when I was uh, working at the cathedral in Bury St Edmunds that uh, you know I had access to that fine instrument in that building uh, and not many other people did. And I, uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll do a daily uh, piece for everyone to enjoy. Actually, it, it happened before that. In the first lockdown, I'd do um, a hymn a day. I think got, I got through 200 of them. Uh, hymns play, always played an important part in my career because at uh, my previous school, the, the whole, whole school would come together every week to do what's called Congo hymn practice. And they raised the roof. It was it was said that you could hear them singing about two miles away. Um, wow. So I I was actually asked, can can you do an online version for us? So I I did, uh, and it, it attracted thousands of people to watch. And then I did these uh, daily videos. And then after we were you know once we were allowed to move out of our houses, I thought, I'll, uh, I've, I've had a bit of, uh, I've had enough of playing a hymn, I think I need a bit more challenge, so I did a piece a day, um, and got to 50, and I thought, it wouldn't be fun getting to 100, uh, well, it was, until I got to about 60, and then I thought, uh, why have I done this to myself, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and then did it again for Christmas, and Advent, and then again at Lent, and Easter, um, so I certainly built up quite a catalogue of material there, um, some of which I'm very proud of. Some of some of which are are, are a little naff, but um, they were they were certainly appreciated by many. And and that yeah, that highlighted I suppose my my uh, my passion for, for for the instrument, but also trying to make it more accessible to to, to others. Yeah, absolutely. Because as instruments go, the organ is not the the most um, accessible for various reasons, is it? No. Uh, is, it, it, is it fair to say it's the least accessible? <laughs> it could be the well. You could argue both ways. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's yeah. It is the least accessible. It's it's perhaps the, well. It's the largest, so it's it's mm. it's perhaps the most obvious to see. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but it's also got um, perhaps like a, a couple of other instruments which I won't name, but that, that I can think of that hasn't got the best image. Uh, it's got a bit of an identity crisis, I think. Um, and it, that's a great shame because it's the king of instruments. It's uh, it's got tremendous uh, breadth, uh, opportunity for, for for so much repertoire. For it, it, unlike any other instrument, I think it can really uh, change its change its identity so quickly. Um, mm. And yeah, I th I think something needs to be done about. Uh, about its identity and, and bringing that more to the, the masses. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a fascinating instrument, isn't it? So technically, so completely, um, I've just said fascinating, but I'll say it again, uh, with, uh, you know, the way it works and everything is, is um, you know, one of those instruments where to actually just get up and see how it works is really interesting and, um, yeah, it's, and really it's, quite unusual. It's and, more of a machine, I suppose, than many other instruments, but the, yeah. the, the, the trick is trying to turn that machine into a musical instrument. Mm. Um, and I think that's perhaps where it gets its bad press from, that it's... Uh, it's often heard played so badly or um, uh, in such a boring, uninspiring manner that I, I think a lot of people get perhaps turned off by it uh, quite quickly. Um, so, yes, big challenge there, which, as you know, I've, I've got some uh, some ideas about that 
Whether this is the time to discuss them, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, well, you're welcome to share them if you'd like to. <laughs> uh, well, I know the Royal College of Organists that I um, uh, am working for as well as doing media tracks and, and uh, my professional organ playing career are uh, one of their most important um, uh, priorities at the moment is to uh, promote the organ outside the tent as it were they do a fantastic job of promoting the organ inside the organ world but yeah. actually the most important thing is uh, is promoting it and raising awareness awareness of it to those that have never heard of the organ or never been in a church i suppose that's what you were talking about with it being quite an insular or or, or you know uh closed uh instrument because you have to usually go into a church to experience it which sometimes are not the easiest places to get into or immediately kind of that idea of going into church can frighten some people of course there are a lot of organs that are in uh, concert halls but that's perhaps associated with a certain uh, level of uh, of um uh, what's the word level of level of yeah well yes and privilege um, same with yeah. same with uh, private schools. A lot of organs are found in chapels of private schools. So mm. it, it's a very difficult instrument to uh, sometimes engage with, primarily because it's so expensive. <laughs> well, that's it. And they're, they're completely, you know, there there is no one who sort of dips in and out of being able to to um, to build or work with organs. They are utterly. Um, you know their own industry yeah um so yeah absolutely they're in they're generally in relatively inaccessible buildings depending on on who you are and where your comfort levels lie and they're exceptionally expensive and they're immovable so they're not yeah. something you'd happen upon in like a mate's front room usually um no, although <laughs> i know some people that have got organs in their front rooms and they're they're, they're quite unique characters but i don't know so of course there's one in blenheim palace in the front in the grand drawing room or grand long room or uh, so again not not a place that i usually hang out i must say oh okay <laughs> <laughs> that, that invitation didn't get to you okay no sadly not <laughs> still waiting for that one <laughs> No, so they, yes, they can appear in, in weird and wacky places. Of course, America's the best place for weird and wacky organs. There's one in Macy's department store, isn't there, in Philadelphia. Really? You have to get to it via the women's lingerie department, which is fascinating. Mm, didn't know that at all. I kind of feel like that might not be true. Is that true? It is true. <laughs> Absolutely. It is true. <laughs> I don't want to be one of those things where someone goes, I'm just going to come on the podcast and talk something. <laughs> Random organ fact. <laughs> no, that is a true fact. It's the largest well, organ in the world, I think. I'll have to check that one. Something like seven keyboards. But yes, you have to, uh, you have to get to it via that department. Well, there you go. We've all learned something new today. <laughs> Well, it's been really fascinating to talk to you about all this, about the um, and you know the obvious two topics that go well together, which are um, music uh, for production and of course organs. Um, if you wanted to say something, uh, you know, knowing that you have a history of education and, and all of these incredible um, strings to your bow, if you wanted to say something to the next generation of musicians, what would you say? Gosh, uh, that is a, 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 a quite a, a, um, a tricky question. Uh, yeah, of which, as well, didn't I? Yes, you sprang <laughs> that on. Look, I, I've tried to uh, inspire um, endless 
generations, hopefully, of musicians and non-musicians in my teaching profession. Uh, and it's always been part of my, uh, my, my ethos to be as inclusive and encouraging and motivating and um, uh, fun <laughs> in presentation of music as, as possible um, in the knowledge that not everyone is going to do it for their career, but um, everyone is going to be touched by music at some point. Uh, in their lives um, and that actually their first encounter or perhaps most pivotal encounter could have been at school um, mm. and I suppose um, I'm grateful that I've had that opportunity and, and hopefully inspired uh, many pupils, young people as possible and, and, and perhaps hope to perhaps uh, transfer that skill to, to to the current projects that I'm doing. So my message, I suppose, to to uh, everyone, young and old, uh, <laughs> is is it doesn't matter if you're you're not uh, the next uh, Yo-Yo Ma or um, Ed Sheeran or whatever. It's more to do with the uh, appreciation, the acknowledgement of where music comes from, uh, and that. Its sole purpose, in my opinion, is to uh, in inspire and ignite and give interest and um, all of those wonderful descriptive words which I could carry on describing, but I think I'll stop there. Music is fantastic and can touch you in so many different ways. There we go. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, William, for giving us a glimpse into the exciting world that MediaTracks is opening up to musicians and composers. It's so important that creatives find the right markets for their work and that they achieve a fair deal in doing so. So it's really great to hear what the company has to offer and not forgetting about your anecdotes as a professional organist. Uh, you can find out more about MediaTracks at mediatracks.co.uk and you can catch up on other episodes of the podcast and see what else we're up to at Polyphony Arts on our website, polyphonyarts.com. Thank you so much, William. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.